You get it first, Leanne. First to the stage, you get the mic. <laughs> I know. So we're starting Awana uh, this Wednesday, right? Six o'clock? Yes. Yep. All right, this Wednesday at six. 6.30. 6.30. Sorry. Yeah, thanks. 6.30. Who said that out there? <laughs> Somebody knew it. All right. So first question. Uh, just share for us a little bit about kind of the big picture. What is it that we do? Why do we do Awana? I mean, what's our passion for this? Why is it a viable ministry at Grace? Why do you guys, why are you so passionate about it? Um, Awana is just a ministry where kids from the community from the ages of three up through sixth grade can come on Wednesday night. They have a time of, uh, where they learn Bible verses. They have a time where they um, have a council time and they have game time. It's just a place where it's a safe environment where they can be, be loved, which they don't get outside of here. Okay. Yeah. Any, you guys want to add to that at all? Um, yeah, it's just a, a great time to get to know these kids. I know the reason I do Awana is because there's a lot of kids, most of the kids that come to this program don't go to church here. I mean, if you look around, you can see how many kids we have in this sanctuary this morning. But on a given night on Wednesday, we'll have, we'll have up to 50 kids. So a lot of these kids come from situations that aren't real great. And I, I just enjoy working with these kids and seeing their faces light up when they get to know somebody, when they interact with somebody, and they get some attention that they really need. So that's really why I do Awana. Um, I would encourage anybody that hasn't Help! I was going to have everybody that's worked in Awana raise their hands, but I'm not going to do that because you know who you are. Um, but, yeah, Dennis has. He's raising his hand. Um, we, we still need help. We need help listening to verses is all it is. You don't, have to, you don't have to study. You don't have to prepare. You don't have to do anything but come here and be a friend to one of these kids. And, and it's really not a hard thing to do. And I think you'll be the one that's blessed through this thing. So, Kim, you want to say anything? Um, I love Awana. I teach the little cubbies. They're three to five. And it's just awesome to see a little three-year-old, four- or five-year-old be so excited about God. And, you know, their little brains soak up so much. And it's just so awesome. That's why I love it. I mean, this is our future, and we need to prepare them. And it's just, I just love it. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll add on to that. This is a, just a super ministry, not only to the children of our church, but obviously children outside the church. And uh, it's a great opportunity for us just to invest in their lives, to love them, and to share the gospel with them. I've been doing games for, I guess, a year now. We'll do that again this year. And I think I have the easiest job and probably the most fun job uh, leading games. And uh, I tire them out so that these guys can do the hard work of uh, being with them and, and teaching them. So, yeah, I would just add, man, if you guys... Uh, or even considering helping, we, we, we definitely, we could always need uh, more help, and uh, it's just a really viable ministry, and so uh, I don't know if you guys want to add anything to that. Thanks. Like I said, we've been doing Awana for, what's it been, 22, 23 years, something like that, so some of the kids that started in the program are now young adults, and it's neat to see where they're at. I mean, a lot of these kids, you know, some of them we probably haven't seen since they left, Awana. But I've, I've said all along every year, I said, I would just love to see what these kids are doing in 30, 40 years, you know, because they're getting the gospel. And I think they're not going to get it anywhere else. Or a lot of times they're not going to get it anywhere else but here. So I think we're doing a great thing. So if, again, if anybody would love, would, would like to help, just come and see what it's like. We're starting Wednesday night at 630. Uh, this Wednesday night will probably be, be a little different than most because we're teaching kids where to go and what to do. 
Um, but if you really want to be a part of it, it's a lot of fun, and I think you'll really get to know these kids real well. So thanks. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. All right, at this point, I'd invite you guys to go ahead and stand up and uh, shake somebody's hand who uh, you're not familiar with. It's not too bad. Good morning. Oh, I want you to be awake, at least at the beginning, right? Welcome to Grace Bible Church. Hey, let's do this. Grab your Bibles and uh, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. And so if you have your Bible, turn with me uh, uh, to one of, the, one of my favorite Gospels, the Gospel of Mark. And uh, if you don't have your Bibles, uh, there are Pew Bibles, NIV Pew Bibles, in front of you. And uh, we will be in Mark chapter 10, uh, which, if you're using a Pew Bible, uh, relates to roughly about 800 and page 22. If you happen to not have access to either of those, the text should be up on the screen. And as you're flipping uh, to Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 32, um, I will go ahead and uh, uh, begin a brief uh, reminder, if you will, or a, a brief review of where we've been. And so we are in part four of our series for this fall called Counterfeit Gospels. And I've entitled my sermon this morning, The I Gospel. Uh, by way of quick review, if you've missed a few sermons here and there, I want to catch you up on this short series. Um, on, uh, in part one of Counterfeit Gospels, we saw the reality of counterfeits. And what we saw from Galatians 1 is that way back uh, in Paul's day, that counterfeit gospels existed, uh, that there were men preaching a false gospel out there, uh, that they were real and that they are dangerous. And so we saw that both then and today, there always is, has been, and always will be the reality of false or counterfeit Gospels. In part two of Counterfeit Gospels, uh, we saw the wreckage of counterfeits. And what we saw is that the, the twofold results of counterfeits in our Christian culture and in our land uh, is, number one, we see that there is a lack of gospel clarity. That is, we don't know what the gospel is. Because there are so many counterfeit, uh, counterfeits out there, we oftentimes get confused and we lose our gospel clarity. Secondly, not only do we lose gospel clarity, but we lose gospel confidence. And what I mean by that is, if we are not sure what the true gospel is, we can then in turn lose our confidence in the power of the true gospel to transform people's lives and to bring salvation, as we saw in Romans chapter 1. So that was part two. And then uh, the week after that, we saw part three of counterfeit gospels, and we saw the gospel defined. We saw the gospel defined. And so what we saw is that there are essentially uh, three parts or three elements to what is the true gospel. That is the life of Christ, the death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. That is that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life both as God and man, and he lived his life in our place because God's standard is perfection, holiness, and that no human being could ever reach that. Jesus Christ not only had to die for us, he had to live for us. And so he lived the life of perfect obedience in our place. He died a substitutionary death for our sins in our place, and then he was resurrected from the dead to verify his life and his death in our place. And so that's where we've been in Counterfeit Gospels, and we find ourselves this morning in part four of Counterfeit Gospels, which I've entitled The I Gospel. And so for the next, oh, roughly five or maybe six weeks, uh, we're going to begin talking about some of the counterfeit gospels that I believe exist in our culture today. And the first is the I Gospel. And so I'm going to go ahead and pray again. We're going to ask God's blessing uh, on his word, and uh, then we'll get started. So pray with me. Father, we do ask again that you would be with us. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would be our teacher, uh, that you would instruct us, that you would convict us, that you would rebuke us, that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us, and that whatever it is that we need from your word this morning, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you apply that to our hearts and would you apply it to our lives? I pray, especially this morning, as we begin to look at this first counterfeit gospel, I pray that we would have hearts that are open and willing to see that maybe we have fallen in this area or that 
that area and we have fallen for a counterfeit gospel, help us to be willing to receive that and understand it. I pray that all that we do uh, this morning, uh, all that I say would be well and pleasing to you. Uh, Guard me from error. May I speak truth and may I speak your word because your word is truth. And so we ask for your presence and we ask it in the great name of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's watch a video. Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I have a busy work week, and by the time Sunday rolls around, I'm tired. So how about a church service that starts when I get there? Can do. When you arrive, we begin. This guy, he plays by his own rules. We want to find a church where if he starts screaming, we're not the bad guys. Say no more. If your baby's screaming, you stay seated. The others around you can leave. You know, financially, Sherry and I don't give a lot to the church, but we'd sure like to know who does. All right, if you join now, you'll know what every person gives in detail. When I'm in the church service, can my car get a buff and a wax? Not just that, but an oil change and a tune-up. Hey, how about tickets to the Super Bowl? That's asking too much. I'm serious. If I'm going to join, I want tickets to the big game. All right, you join now, and we'll get you there. I like a pony. Look in your backyard. Me Church, where it's all about you. Uh, This morning, we're going to talk about what I would call the I gospel. And I think that this I gospel is really the root cause of this me church mentality, this me church attitude that really says, what is it that I can get out of church as opposed to what is it that I can give? Uh, So oftentimes, we have this attitude. Now, I doubt any of you came in this morning expecting your car to get a buff and a wax. And I doubt any of your your kids really expect for there to be a pony uh, in the backyard when you get home. But the truth is, oftentimes, when we come to church, and when we get involved in a church, we often can have a me-church mentality. That is, that this experience is really about me as opposed to being about God. Now, this me-church mentality that this video kind of spoofed is really a symptom. It's really a symptom. When we come to church expecting to get rather than to give, it's really a symptom of this first counterfeit gospel, which I call the I gospel, the I gospel. Uh, now, uh, many of you probably have some of the Apple products, which are called I whatever. And so uh, how many of you have an iPod in your present? You know, not now, but hopefully not now. You have an iPod. Uh, the wonderful thing about an iPod, and then you get your iPod, and then you have to get iTunes, do you not? Because essentially what an iPod iPod and iTunes does is it's kind of like your own personal radio. It's, it's all about you, right? And so you can personalize and put on your iPod via your iTunes, whatever it is that you want, so that you'll never have to listen to the radio and say, I don't like that song, and you have to flip and turn, because everything that you're going to be hearing through your iPod is all about you. 
It's about your preference. And so we have the iPod. Uh, We also have things uh, called the iPhone. I won't ask how many of you have iPhones, uh, but recently the board approved for me to get an iPhone. Thank you very much for that. It's extremely handy. Um, I use it for a lot of things, and it kind of keeps me on schedule. Uh, But it also has a lot of fun gadgets and applications. And so the, the thing about the iPhone, the whole idea is that it's a phone suited just for you, and you can tailor it according to your needs. And so you can put the apps that you want on your iPhone. You can get apps for your kids on your iPhone. You can get sports apps, probably a a whole ton of applications. And you basically have this little phone that's way more than a phone that's tailored just for your needs and just for your preferences. And for the record, I love my iPhone. Uh, And and not only do we have iPhones, but the, the, the newest thing out there is called the iPad. Now, I don't know if any of you have an iPad or not, but I saw yesterday, you do, wonderful. Uh, I've heard that they're super duper. I don't have one, I've never really played with one, but my understanding is that the iPad is basically an iPhone that's a little bit bigger and has more capabilities. Uh, But I just saw yesterday on the TV, and maybe this is old news, but the iPad, what? Two is apparently coming out soon. And so for those of you who have uh, iPad ones, too bad. <laughs> Fork over the money and get the iPad too. Uh, but the point of all of this iTalk is not just to be a free uh, commercial for Apple. Um, but the point is that simply this, in our culture, it's an iCulture, is it not? It's an iCulture. We love our iPods, we love our iPads, we love our iPhones because we love ourselves <laughs> and because we love for everything to be tailored around our needs and our happiness. And so I've entitled this first counterpart not counterfart, (laughs) counterpart, let me just be clear, let me be clear, slip of the tongue, counterpart, it happens when you preach, Uh, (laughs) I've called it the I-gospel, the I-gospel, and that is because we tailor our good news to our needs, to our preferences, to our wants, in fact, I've defined the I-gospel this way, The I-Gospel says that the good news is that you can reach your goals and maximize your happiness through Jesus Christ. That's the I-Gospel. You can reach your goals and maximize your happiness as you define happiness through Jesus Christ. Now, what I want us to do simply this morning, uh, most sermons come in threes, and this one will come in threes as well. And So if you want to know where we're going, take notes, that kind of thing. Three, Three kind of parts. Number one, First, we're going to see what I call the first century I-gospel. We're going to see the I-gospel, that is, the followers of Christ pursuing their goals and maximizing their happiness through Jesus Christ. That is not a new concept. In fact, it, in fact, it happened with Jesus' first followers, his disciples. And we're going to see the first century I-gospel in Mark chapter, chapter 10. Secondly, we're, we are then going to take a look at what I call the 21st century I-gospels, or maybe three possible applications or ways that this concept of the I-gospel fleshes it, itself out for us today in our time and place. And then third, we're going to compare the I-gospel with the real gospel. How does this I-gospel reveal itself to be a counterfeit? And so let's begin uh, uh, point number one, the first, the first century I-gospel. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Uh, we're going to read verses 32 through, through uh, 45. And essentially what we're going to see is that Jesus' followers, his closest disciples, the 12 who had been with him for a period of roughly three years, who lived with him, who left family and home and vocation to live with him, to be devoted to him. I mean, it's hard for us to imagine this, to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ day in, day out, minute by minute, to hear his words, to see his miracles. Um, 
These were guys who were very, very close to Jesus. And what we see is that they struggled with the I gospel. And particularly in this context, what they struggled with is this concept of kingdom. What they struggle with is the idea that their Messiah, who they believed to be uh, the Savior of Israel, that he would have to die. They struggled with the concept that he would not initiate his political kingdom on earth before the cross. That is that the cross had to come before the glory. They anticipated that he would be a political figure, that he would redeem them from the yoke of Roman bondage. And one day, indeed, Jesus Christ will be a political figure. He will return to the earth and establish his kingdom. That's right. It was right for them to anticipate this. They just didn't understand the timing of things. He had to die for human sin first so that upon his return, he can bring those with him who are clothed in his righteousness. And so they struggle with this concept of what Jesus is going to do. And we see their I gospel coming out in their conversations with one another and in them confusing what it means that Jesus would die. They were using Jesus for their own goals, to pursue, their, to pursue their own happiness as they saw fit. So let's read the text, and then I'll just point out a few things. But I think it will be clear how the I gospel was manifested through the disciples. So let's just read the section together, starting in Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 45. They were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. He said, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other on your left in glory. Jesus then responded by saying, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they had have been prepared. He goes on, When the ten heard about this, They became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And kind of the crescendo of the whole book, Jesus says, "For For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that is indeed God's word. 
There's so much here that I want to point out. Uh, probably uh, in a matter of, uh, of months, we will probably be walking through the Gospel of Mark, and so I want to save some of that ammunition for them. But let me just point out a few things. First of all, uh, when you read through the Gospel of Mark, you find out that uh, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus tells his disciples three times that he's going to die and that he's going to be resurrected, okay? Three times Jesus is trying to communicate this truth that would be hard for them to grasp the Messiah is going to die. <laughs> Get it through your brains. The Messiah is going to die, and then he's going to be resurrected, okay? So three times throughout the book of Mark, Jesus tells them this, and this is the last time in the book of Mark that Jesus says this. And so they've heard it how many times, mathematicians? Two times, right? They've heard it twice. Now they're getting it again, and apparently it's just not sinking into their skull. They're not getting it. And so he tells them again that he's going to die, and so counter that, did you notice the contrast? Jesus, this, he says, guys, 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 we're going to Jerusalem. We're going to the cross. Listen, I've told you before, let me tell you again, cross first, kingdom second. Cross first, kingdom second. And he tells them this, and then John, uh, Mark records that the very next thing that these two guys do, James and John, is what? I mean, it's ironic. It's meant to be funny. We're supposed to look at this and be like, did they really just ask him that after he told them that he was going to die and that the kingdom wasn't coming at this point? He just told them. And then it's full of, it's, it's meant to be humorous. James and John, they come, and what is it that they ask, right? The first thing they ask is what? They're like, uh, Jesus, we've got a favor to ask, just a small favor. Actually, they say, will you just do anything we want? <laughs> That's what they, they're like, hey, hey, do anything we want you to do. <laughs> That's the I gospel. Do anything we want you to do, right? So they're just asking for a blank check, right? Give us a blank check, Jesus. And certainly he knew their heart, and yet with grace he says, what is it that you want, you know? What is it that you want? And then they basically ask for the two places in the kingdom, this imagery of the right hand and the left hand. In a kingdom, if you, whoever sat on the right hand was kind of like second in command, and whoever sat on the other hand was, uh, was kind of third in command, right? These were the top two positions in any kingdom. And so they're looking ahead. They're like, you're going to overthrow Rome. You're going to rule in Jerusalem. You're going to be the king. Oh, and by the way, they were cousins of Jesus, and kings oftentimes appointed family members, right? And so can you, th- can you get what they're thinking? They're like, oh, kingdom, Jerusalem. Hmm, what's in this for me? Let's just see, you know, we're cousins with him. Maybe he'll just, maybe he'll appoint us the top places in the kingdom. They wanted status. They wanted glory. And when we read the uh, parallel account in the book of Matthew, we find out that actually they send their mom to ask Jesus this, which I find laughable. They're like, Mom, would you, would you, I don't know if it's like that, but you can just imagine. And she's like, okay. And so here's this, this mom goes to ask for their sons. It's just, wow, I gospel all over the place, right? And so the point, and so Jesus essentially responds and he's like, you don't know what you're talking about. Do you have any idea what you're asking? Because if you want to be first and second in the kingdom when it happens, it's going to involve suffering. That's the image of of baptism that we see here and of the cup. These are both images from the Old Testament of suffering. And so he says, suffering first, then then kingdom. Are you willing to do that? And the obvious answer that they're supposed to get is, oh, no, no, no. And then hilariously they say, oh, yeah, we can do that. No problem, right? And he's like, 
These guys have no idea. And so he goes on to teach them. But did you notice then, did you notice that both John and uh, James had the I gospel? They were using Jesus to maximize their goals and their happiness as they saw fit. So they had the I gospel. But what about the other 10? What was their response? Did you notice what their response was? It's like Jesus is having this conversation with those two guys. And like the other disciples are like over here, right? And they're, they're like, what, what, is, what are they talking about? You know, you, you can see Peter being like, hey, what are they talking? Are they talking to Jesus? And so Peter kind of, you know, looks in and they, and they overhear that, that they're looking for their own. You know, they're looking after their own places, their own status, and they get livid, <laughs> right? They're so mad. Why? Because they want those places too. They want those places too. And so the I gospel, the first century I gospel is everywhere in this passage. And, and what astonishes me is that they have the guts, they have the gall to come to Jesus with this I gospel after he says, I'm going to die. He explicitly says, I'm going to die. And they're like, "Mm, let me just dismiss that. Can I rule in your kingdom? I mean, like, for instance, um, I know I use stories of Asher a lot, but hey, he's not in here right now, so I can say that. Um, Asher is in this phase now to where he's picked up this little phrase, and the little phrase is, I know, but... And so when, I, he, when he says, I want eggs, he wakes up in the morning, I want eggs, and I say, we don't have any eggs. He says, I know, but I want eggs. <laughs> and I'm like, we don't have any eggs. I want pizza. We don't have any pizza. I know, but, but I want pizza. You know, I'm like, you don't understand what I'm saying. This is an impossibility, you know. And, and, and he, he just completely disregards what I say because he wants it. Is that not what James and John did? <laughs> did they not say, oh, I know, Jesus, you're going to die, but I don't care. I really want to rule with you. That's what they were doing, and that's the essence of the first century I gospel. Well, number two, what's then the 21st century I gospels? How does that uh, uh, relate in our day? Well, obviously, uh, the I gospel can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. At its root, it's maximizing, pursuing our goals and our happiness using Jesus to do that. In his book, uh, Counterfeit Gospels, Trevin Wax offers us three versions of this counterfeit, of the I gospel. And so I want to share, uh, for the remainder of the time, these three I gospels. And the number, number one, the first I gospel that Wax suggests is what he calls the happy meal gospel. The happy meal gospel. And that is that Jesus uh, is primarily for us to pursue our own happiness according to how we define happiness. Um, so I Parents, you're probably familiar with a Happy Meal. How many of you have ever bought your kid a Happy Meal? You can admit it. It's okay. I've done it too. In fact, Asher had his first Happy Meal about a couple weeks ago as we were heading home uh, from Labor Day weekend. And so we're, we drive in, and I, I'm like, okay, kid's meal. It said kid's meal or something. And I was like, yeah, that's great. Kid-sized stuff, that's what I'll get. And so I ordered it, and Shelly's like, why did you do that? <laughs> and I'm like, what? She's like, you got him a Happy Meal. And I'm like, it's a value meal. She's like, it's a happy meal. And I'm like, okay. And so, you know, you get the happy meal, and of course, the kids love the happy meal because of the toy, right? And so we, you know, and so we pull out the toy, and it's this blue alien, and he loves it. He still plays with it to this day. He's like, toy, happy meal. I'm like, what have I done? <laughs> because the point of the happy meal, the point of the happy meal is not the soggy fries or the, or, or, or the chicken nuggets or whatever, you know? The point is not that. The point is that kids want it because they perceive that they're going to get the toy, which in turn will make them 
happy, right? Happy. And so Trevin Wax says, oftentimes we can treat the gospel as a happy meal gospel that makes our happiness, as we define it, our feeling good, as the central goal in our life and in our faith. Uh, So how do you know if you have this counterfeit? Let me suggest a couple ways. Number one, your prayer life and my prayer life. Number one, we may have the happy, the, the happy meal gospel if our prayer life is unusually, disproportionately selfish. Now, I think all of our prayers to some degree are selfish, um, but I'm talking about you only pray when things are going bad. You only pray when you have a need. You only pray when you're not happy because you see God as primarily his goal in life is to make you happy. And so that's the only time you pray. You don't spend any time in prayer praising God. Do you do that? When you pray, do you praise God for his glory and for his goodness and for his creation and all the other attributes? Do we do, we do that in prayer? Do we spend time confessing our sin to a holy God or are, is the bulk of our prayers, God, I'm not happy because my kid's not happy, my mom's not happy, my dad, whatever. I'm not happy, make me happy. If that's the case, you might have a happy meal gospel. Secondly, secondly, you can know if you have this gospel if your happiness becomes the measuring stick for your decision making. If your happiness becomes the measuring stick for what you do in life rather than God's word, then you have the happy meal gospel. By way of example, how many of you have seen a movie? It's, it's, it's several years old, A Walk to Remember. A Walk to Remember? Okay, uh, it's kind of a chick flick, so guys, you know, hey, just heads up. <laughs> um, but the basic plot, as far as, as far as I understand it, is there's this young lady, and she falls in love with this guy, and he's kind of, a, kind of a bad boy. She's a Christian girl in the movie. She's a Christian girl, and her dad is a pastor. Her dad is a reverend. And so she falls in love with this guy, and her dad is concerned because, oh, he's not a Christian. You shouldn't be dating him. Other things happen. I won't ruin the movie if you haven't seen it. But there's this one particular scene where she's talking with her dad on the porch. And, the, and in that scene, her father is voicing his disapproval of her dating this guy who's, who's a non-Christian. And so he, he quotes a Bible passage, and he says, <clears throat> in quote, you might not care what I say or think, but you should care about God's opinion. And she replies, hear this. She replies, I think God wants me to be happy. I think God wants me to be happy. If you've ever uttered that phrase in the voice of a clear scriptural command, I know that God says I should do this. I know Jesus says this. I know know Paul says this. I know that this is what God, but I really think that God just wants me to be happy. And so you make your happiness the measuring sticker standard for your decision-making. If that's the case, then you have the Happy Meal Gospel. Secondly, Wax says not only is there a Happy Meal Gospel, but what he calls the Paid Program Gospel. The Paid Programming Gospel. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a paid program before. Obviously, there are little commercials. I don't know if you've ever seen an entire paid program where they basically try to sell you a product, but this is kind of like the, the iGospel. When you watch a paid programming thing, what, what is it? They basically begin by saying, you have a problem. Your life stinks. You need something. You need this food chopper. You need this blender. You need this cleaner. You are in, uh, you are in food hell. <laughs> you are in uh, kitchen cleaning hell because your life is just miserable. And then what do they do? They say, and to fix it, ta-da! <laughs> For only nineteen ninety nine, you can get blah, 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 right? And they give you the solution to fix your problem, and then they say that that solution is essentially going to make you happy. 
Well, what Wax suggests is that this is the uh, version of the I gospel, the paid programming gospel. It basically says life stinks, but Jesus can fix it. And so here, Jesus primarily becomes a product. Jesus primarily is a product who can fix your life's problems, whether it's your marriage, your kids are acting up, your work uh, stinks, you're, over, you're worried about all sorts of things, you're so stressed out, you don't know what to do, you're lonely, whatever it is, when this gospel is presented, they say, your life stinks, Jesus can fix it and make it go away, uh, so believe in him. And while it's certainly true that Jesus helps us with life's struggles and helps us deal with them in an honorable and good way, there's no doubt about that. But Jesus does not promise to fix all of the problems in our life. And so when we view and we come to Jesus saying, my marriage stinks, I need to follow Jesus. I need to go to church because my kids are just horrible and I don't know what to do with them. I can't handle this worry, so I need to believe in Jesus. This is a paid programming gospel. So by way of application, how do you know if you've fallen into this counterfeit? Well, I think we have to ask a hard question. And the hard question is primarily, why is it that we believe in Jesus? Why is it that we follow Jesus? And then thirdly, why is it that we go to church? I mean, at this one, it's kind of like a heart check. It's a gut check. Why is it that we do what we do? Have we bought in to this I gospel, this paid programming gospel. Because if, if in your heart of hearts you come to church and you, you listen to me rant every Sunday or, or you go to this or that, if because your motivation is something is just not right. I really need something. I need community, so I'm going to go here. I need my marriage to be fixed. I need to be better at work. I need X, Y, and Z. Then if that's the case, then what you're motivated by, what your glory is, is actually having a good marriage, good kids, a good work relationship, lack of stress. That's what you're pursuing rather than Jesus Christ. And so if Jesus is just a product that you buy to fix your problems, then you have the paid programming gospel. Number three, Happy Meal Gospel, Paid Programming Gospel, the Vending Machine Gospel is what Trevin Wax suggests, the Vending Machine Gospel. Now, we're all familiar with vending machines, are we not? Uh, You go and you put in your quarters. Uh, Several years ago, it used to be like one or two quarters. Now it's like 10 quarters, right, for for chips or or something. The prices are outlandish. Uh, But you go and you take your quarters or your dollar and you put the money into the machine and then what do you get out of the machine? Well, whatever it is you hit the button for, chips, candy, pop, whatever it is, right? And and so it's a transaction. Trevin Wax suggests that the vending machine gospel is this way. This version of the I gospel says that we put in the coins of our obedience to God, and then God, in turn, is obligated to bless us materially or physically for our obedience. And so we say, God, here's my coins. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to seek to obey you. Here it goes. But I anticipate this expected return. Now, I'm not talking about the promises of God. Let me be clear here. In the New Testament, there are several promises to where God says, if you respond this way, then I promise that I will act this way. That's good and right. That's conditional promises that we, if we obey, we can expect God to give. I'm talking about the kind of things that we expect God to do that aren't promised, the kind of things that we anticipate God will do for us that he never clearly promises that we do. The problem with the vending machine gospel, Trevin Wax says very eloquently, I think, the problem with the vending machine gospel is that God can never be put in our debt. 
God never owes us anything. It inverts our relationship to God, making him out to be a puppet whose strings are pulled by our actions. And my fear for the vending machine gospel is that if we anticipate that if we simply obey God, that he will give us X, Y, and Z, things that he's not promised us, that when we put the coin in, right, ka-ching, 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 F1, that's what I want, and you hit the button, you put your coins of obedience in, and you don't get anything. Nothing comes out. The, the bag of chips gets stuck. The candy gets caught and nothing comes down that we will be sorely disappointed. I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you at a vending machine. Back in my middle school, there were two vending machines and uh, they were used quite a bit, but it was notorious for not giving us what we wanted, right? And so oftentimes we would put in our 50 cents. Back in the day, you could get a Coke for 50 cents. Back when I was in middle school, right? You put in your 50 cents and you hit the thing and, and it was one of those twirls and it would go tick, 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 right? And then, oh, it's stuck, right? It didn't drop. And so what are you supposed to, what do you do? Well, as middle, yeah, that's right, Dan, thank you. As middle school punks, we'd be like, boom, 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 coo, 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 rock, rock, rock. You know, like we would do everything we could do. Hit it, hit it, you know, whatever, to get the thing to drop. Well, my fear is that if we believe the vending machine gospel, that's what we'll do with God. God, bang, bang, boom, 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 because he's not giving us what we anticipate. So how do we know if we believe this counterfeit? I think, I think one real good way to know is if you feel betrayed, if you, tr- if you feel hurt, if you feel done wrong, when hardship or pain or suffering or sickness or anything that's good, any, any, kind, of, any kind of unexpected thing, anything bad comes into your life on the scale of minute to huge. And, and, and when that happens, if you respond saying, God, I've been obeying you, That's my, that's my fear. That's how we know we might have a vending machine gospel. So number three, we've seen the first century I gospel. We've seen three suggested 21st century I gospels. And then number three, how does the I gospel stack up to the real gospel? That is, if this is a counterfeit, why is it a counterfeit? So um, up on the screen, we'll have a little chart. Number one, the I gospel, first of all, the gospel story is distorted. Remember when Jerry McCorkle came and he shared with us the gospel story, creation, fall, uh, rescue, redemption, right, restoration. Uh, number one, the I gospel distorts the gospel story. The I gospel essentially says that we were created by God for our own, keyword, personal happiness as we define it. We were created just to be happy. God just wants us to be happy, but not how he defines happiness, how we define happiness. God just wants me to be happy, like the girl on a walk to remember. That's how the gospel story is distorted. But the real gospel says that we were created to know God, that we were created to enjoy God, and that we were created to glorify God. And as we glorify God, as we worship him, as we pursue happiness, as he defines it, then we have true happiness. And so number one, the gospel story is distorted. Number two, the gospel problem is distorted. Not only does creation get skewed, but redemption gets skewed. The gospel problem, the idea of sin, gets distorted. The I gospel redefines sin. Maybe not theologically, but practically. In a real practical sense, sin is a loss of happiness. If we believe and practice the I gospel, sin is anything that causes us not to be happy. That is the idea of sin. But the true gospel defines sin very, dis- very differently. 
the I gospel says sin is directed towards us, right? We're not happy. We're not satisfied. We're not content. But, but the real gospel says that sin is directed towards God, that it's a, an offense against a holy being who's full of wrath and perfect justice. That's the idea of sin. And so the gospel, not only is the gospel story diluted, but the gospel problem is distorted. Third, the gospel solution is also distorted. The gospel solution, that is, what does Jesus Christ do? The I gospel says that Jesus gives us the power to restore our lost happiness and to bless our pursuit of it as we define it. As we define happiness, Jesus says, I'll fix you, I'll let you have all of your happiness, pursue it all you want, it doesn't matter what my standards are, it doesn't matter what I say true happiness is all about, And so the gospel solution is distorted, but the real gospel says that Jesus lives in our place, dies in our place for our sins, appeases the wrath of God on our behalf, gives us right standing with him, and causes us to be born again, to have a new relationship with God. And because of that, then we experience joy, true happiness according to God's standards. And so that is how the I gospel stacks up with the real gospel. In closing, how many of you have seen the movie The Truman Show? starring Jim Carrey. Uh, it's a pretty neat little film, and I think the idea behind it is, is brilliant. But in, in a day of reality TV, the basics of the Truman Show is that Truman, this man uh, by the name of Jim Carrey who plays Truman, from his birth is in a reality TV show. And they have this huge stage, this huge city that's basically a production studio, and he's on the TV 24-7. His life is the reality TV show. And everything in that Everything in that world is centered around him, right? It's centered around him. And at the very last scene in the movie, which we're going to see in just uh, one minute, in the very last scene of the movie, Truman, he, he progressively is discovering that Something's not right in this world. Something is not good. Uh, something is fake about this. Something's not satisfying about this. And, and so he, he gets these clues that this is, this is not real. And, and then the very last scene, he discovers with finality that he's not the center of the universe and that his life is a reality TV show. And this is how he responds. Let's roll the, roll the clip. So that's the scene at the very end where he discovers and takes the step, realizing that he is not the center of his own world. 
Folks, when we buy the iGospel in all of its various forms, and I've just suggested three, when we buy the iGospel, which says the good news is that we can reach our own goals to maximize our own happiness as we define it through Jesus, we are essentially like Truman. We are living in a world that is fake. We are living in a world that is not real. We are living in a world where we think that the world and God revolves around our every whim and our every need and that our happiness and our goals and that our status is what it is, but it's fake. It's fake. And so maybe my prayer is that this morning we would have a Truman moment, that we would, like Truman, come to the realization that we don't exist for God, but that, uh, as a he, he, that God doesn't exist for us, but we exist for God, and that the gospel is not about uh, primarily our happiness and our goals, but it's about Jesus Christ, knowing him, glorifying him, delighting in him. And maybe we will have a Truman-like moment where we discover that we are not the center of his universe, and in doing so, that brings us true freedom and true joy. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that you have recorded the life of followers of Christ through many, many years and many centuries ago. Thank you uh, so much for the transparency that you give us in the Gospels. We recognize that your early followers were imperfect, that they were self-centered, often like we are, and even being at the very coattails of Jesus Christ, that they can fall, and they did fall, fall for a time to an I gospel. How much more, Father, are we susceptible to the I gospel? We who live 2,000 plus years uh, from this side of the cross, and we who don't have a physical, tangible Jesus before us, but we do have his life. We do have his teachings recorded for us, and we're so grateful for that. I pray, God, that we would be, as Truman was, set free from the I gospel in all sorts of areas in our life, and that we would come to realize that We're not the center of the universe and that the gospel is not about us, but it's about your son and what you're doing in this world to redeem humanity for your glory so that we would worship you and praise you and find true satisfaction and joy forever. That's what the gospel is about. And so set us free from our little versions of the 21st century I gospel and may we experience as we do and as Truman did, true freedom. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Guys, thanks for being here. Remind you, there are tons of things at the Welcome Center, things to be involved in, ministries to sign up for, information. Check it out. See you next week.